0: So we've been talking about this road to resurrection that we've been, we've been traveling on. And some of, those, some of those sections of that have been kind of rough and kind of difficult. But, but the goal has been always to get to this final place where we have the, the, the vision of the resurrection in front of us. And, and that sustains us. That's what holds us up and strengthens us for this journey. And I'm going to remind you of, of Paul's words that we've shared throughout this time. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So uh, as I've worked through this week, I have to tell you that partway through the week, I had a little turn. Uh, You know, sometimes our road that goes to uh, where we're going is is real straight and smooth. And mine took a little turn uh, partway through the week. And so this sermon changed some on me uh, because God just decided to redirect it a little bit. But hopefully it will work well and uh, we'll speak to your hearts this morning. And God has been speaking to my heart through the week. Uh, But this is the place we arrive at this week. Now that we've we've gone through the road, we've hit the valley and and it's time to celebrate the resurrection. And so I'm going to, I'm going to just, going to ask you to repeat with me, uh, kind of like you did with Thomas a minute ago. And, and can we bring the house lights up just a hair? I want to see who's here today. Uh, I want to see your faces. If we could get a little more light in the room, please, so I could see some of y'all. It's so good to see you here. Uh, so repeat this after me. Christ is risen. Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed. Is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia. Amen. 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 Let's pray. So, Father, we give you thanks that we come on this day, that we've uh, gathered, and and at last we've come into uh, this place where your light breaks forth and your life is renewed in the midst of us, and uh, we just ask you to come and bring your light and diffuse it among all of us in joy and in life. Uh, Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, uh, so this, the title up here for this week is Christ the Victor, and, and, and really the, the old term for this is, is Christus Victor, it's the old language. Uh, in the early church, uh, when they talked about the crucifixion and the resurrection, it was always in one piece. Uh, it was never talking about you know, the, the cross of Christ and substitutionary atonement and all those kind of fancy words we use. Uh, it was never talking about that absent the resurrection, It was always held together. It was always in one piece because without the resurrection, the cross means that sin and death won. Without the resurrection, everything that Jesus did is futile. Without the resurrection, none of it means anything. So they held it all together in one piece. And the title, they call it Christus Victor, Christ the victor, uh, that Christ triumphs over death and sin. And it's all held together and it's weaved together in this one piece. So I want you to listen as Paul is talking to the early church about this. This is in 1 Corinthians 15, which is a wonderful chapter just to sit and read sometime if you haven't done it. But, but here he's talking about this to a church where people are struggling with the concept of the resurrection. And listen as he starts off. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. I mean, this, this witness that, that Christ appeared, this is, this is his, the, the resurrection is the main thing. You know, the, the crucifixion is there, he died, but you hear what he's emphasizing, He's not emphasizing the crucifixion. That was there was no one debating that reality. He's emphasizing the resurrection. This is what's happened. This is this amazing thing that that we've witnessed, that I've witnessed, and Peter's witnessed, and the disciples and the apostles and 500 of your brothers and sisters. This is the power. This is the power of the resurrection. And he's going to go on now, and he's going to remind them. You know, if you don't hold to the resurrection, he's going he's going to talk to them about the futility of their faith. then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Without the resurrection, amen. I don't know who gave me the amen, but thank you. Without the resurrection, the cross becomes a symbol of shame and defeat and it means the powers of death and sin win and everything that Christ has done and everything that he has taught is useless with the resurrection the cross becomes the pathway into new life becomes the pathway to overcome death and sin becomes the pathway for everything to be made new it's, it's that critical to the understanding of the church, especially in the early church. And yet it's also this, this concept that's, that's hard, it's hard for us to grasp. I mean, we, we see children being born. We see people get sick who receive healing and get well. I mean, all these kinds of events, we see people teaching and learning. We see people's lives being changed. All those things are things we see. The resurrection, though, boy, that, that's, that's a step in another step further. That's, an, that's another kind of place to go. And sometimes I think, you know, um, in struggling with that, sometimes we think we're alone in that. But I want to assure you, you're not alone in that. It started a long time ago. So we're going to go to Mark's account of the resurrection. And I want you to listen carefully the way Mark remembers this day. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. I want you to just kind of hear that story and think about it for a minute. If you were wanting to write a story about the resurrection in the early church, and you were wanting to make the disciples and everybody look like they were all that, right? I mean, you would have had them going, okay, guys, we've got to get up. It's, it's, it's the first day. We all need to go to the tomb to see Jesus rise up, right? I mean, Peter would have been right there in the middle of them. They all would have been standing there waiting to see the resurrection. And that's not what any of the Gospels tell us. On the first day, the women go to the tomb to finish the burial preparations that were interrupted by sundown on Friday. They don't go there expecting to find the resurrection. They go there expecting to find the dead body of Jesus. And the disciples don't go there. They're back in the room, locked up in fear of what might happen to them if they go out. They're not even willing to go back to the tomb. When the women walk in and they see the angel sitting there, their first reaction is alarm and fear for who they might have encountered. And after he speaks to them, Mark tells us they went back to the disciples in the upper room and said, you know, he's risen. And the rest of the disciples said, right, sure. I mean, even the disciples, he told them this, he'd predicted it. But even then, they didn't really expect this to happen. And so they, they struggle with it, and they, they wrestle with it. And it's when he comes into the midst of them, when he, they encounter him, when he comes and he eats with them, when he stands in the midst of them, when they can touch him, those are the moments when his presence makes real the reality of this resurrection. And that's what Paul's writing in that First Corinthians. Man, at first it was, it was just a few of us, and then it was the, the 12, and then it was the apostles, and then it was like 500 of us. And we all saw him. Because he's writing to an audience that that struggles with it. Even back then, he's writing. I mean, they had come to that place where they were in that room, and they were were shut in there, and they were waiting. I mean, even in the early church, I mean, as Paul starts that Corinthians out, I mean, he says, Listen, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. I mean, they were struggling with the idea. People wrestled with it. And when the, when the disciples were in that upper room overnight that night on Saturday, uh, Jesus had been crucified, you know, it wasn't a time of joyful expectation and anticipation. It was, a, it was a dark, dark moment. I mean, these folks had given up homes, businesses, careers, standing in the community, money, family connections. As Peter says at one place, we've given up everything to follow you. They'd given up everything to follow Jesus in the hope that they were all in with him now. And when he became the Messiah, they would somehow be rewarded for that. And instead, they'd seen him arrested and beaten and executed. They were utterly defeated. I think about what Peter might have felt like that day, sitting there in that upper room on Saturday you know the last thing he did before jesus was executed was he denied him and jesus mother who's watched her son die and has to be wondering god you 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 put me in this position to be the mother of the messiah and and what, what what's going on what happened years ago in a Once again, I did a memorial service after the 1998 flood, and we had had just really a handful of people that that died in that flood in that community, Uh, but four of them were all from one family. Uh, The mother was the only one that survived because she had been at work, and the other four had tried to get out and driven their car on a low water crossing and been washed off and drowned. And so we, we held this memorial that day, and, and at the end of the service, the mother came up to the uh, Catholic priest that was the priest of the parish she attended. And, and she said, what do, I, what do I do now? And he said, well, he said, um, you cry and you pray and you trust God and you try to move on with your life. And she said, how? How? And none of us had a good answer for her. That's the disciples in that upper room. <laughs> Everything we hoped for has been crushed. And then the women come in and say, we went to the tomb, he wasn't there, he's risen up. And they didn't know quite what to do with that. It was an amazing moment, it was an astounding moment. But I want you to hear, even while they were in that room, <laughs> you know, they're, hunker down and being quiet and you know uh, uh, avoiding any kind of you know being out in the public or anything even while they're in there y- you need to hear that god's grace was already starting to work you know in the old original version of the apostles creed there's that line he descended to the dead it gets taken out in some of our newer creeds i think sometimes people think well it's redundant you know he died he descended to the dead we don't need to say that. so they take that line out that's not at all what it means it's not it's not being redundant if you read first peter he tells us this is the, reason the gospel, for this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Even on that Saturday while the disciples were in despair, Jesus descended to the place of the dead and preached the gospel to the dead because God's grace will not be limited by time and space. He's the God of the living and the God of the dead. And he is not willing for anyone, anyone to not be saved. And so in that moment when the rest of the world thought everything was over, salvation was already beginning. And Christ was already preaching the gospel to the dead. And then it began this, this powerful series of events where he began to appear and people began to see him and people began to recognize him. And it was in his presence It was in his presence that they became convinced of the power and the truth of the resurrection. Earlier this year, we're doing a sermon series, and we're watching some uh, 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 videos from the Chosen video series, uh, uh, the first season, and in episode seven, there's this wonderful conversation that takes place between Jesus and Nicodemus. Uh, It's recorded in the third chapter of the Gospel of Mark, uh, of John. So, uh, so, I've always read that and heard that as kind of a verbal sparring between Jesus and Nicodemus. But the way it was portrayed in this was was entirely different. It It was Nicodemus struggling to understand, trying to understand what Jesus was telling him and what Jesus was doing, trying to get his head around that, and Jesus trying to help him. And there comes that moment where they're they're saying those very familiar words John 3:16 and 17, right? You know, John 3:16 for God so loved the world, yeah, that passage. But I want you to listen how it gets said in this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. But have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. Now the first time I saw that, this is what hit me. God loves the world in this way. I've always read it, for God so loved, past tense. But did you hear? God loves the world in this active, present tense. God loves the world in this way. God's love didn't end somewhere back there in the ancient realms of history, but God still loves the world in this way. God's love is still active in the world in this way. God is still reaching out to his children in this way and bringing the presence of the living Christ to be in the midst of us. This, this kind of a, the place this kind of, well, it kind of hooked with me this week, was doing J.D. Waltz Seedbed Devotional, and I ran across this passage, uh, and J.D.'s talking about it in 1 Peter, where he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares for you, active. He loves you. He cares for you. It's not simply that, you know, he cared about you, but he, he cares for you. This is God present with us. This is God's love and compassion with us. This is God reaching out to us. This is God present with us in the resurrection, loving us and caring for us. And taking upon himself the burdens that we carry. And J.D. said, you know, if you want to take this, you know, you, you can take this passage and you can kind of, you know, just make it a little more personal. You know, you can say, you know, I can cast my anxiety in him because he cares for me. And, and then he broke it down even further. He said, try doing this way. Say, say, Father, you care for me. Jesus, you care for me. Holy Spirit, you care for me. I want you to pray that with me. Okay. Father, you care for me jesus you care for me holy spirit you care for me and the power of the resurrection isn't limited to that one moment two thousand years ago the power of the resurrection is ongoing it's in god's love god's care god's compassion god's new life that continues to be poured out in us through the presence of christ with us it's not a past event it's a present event it's an ongoing event it goes all the way into the future God's love and compassion will not be limited by space and time, but rather it continues to be poured out upon us. And when we, when we gather and we, we celebrate the resurrection, you know, we come together and we have this wonderful, uplifting time, you know, it's because God is with us and his life is with us and his compassion and love are with us. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is a, in this little video clip with Nicodemus and Jesus, he makes a really interesting comment, Jesus does, and he says, oh, you know, I I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar. (laughs) And a lot of us have been trained to be scholars at some level or another. And, you know, we don't like those mysteries. We want to be able to explain it. And so, you know, we work hard at it. And, 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 and for 2,000 years, people have come up with all kinds of great explanations for how this really didn't happen that way or really wasn't what it seemed to be. And, and here's the thing. After 2,000 years, all those explanations, all of them, every one of them, has fallen flat. Because the mind, the expansiveness of the mind of men and women is never going to be able to encompass the expansiveness of the mind of God. It's simply something that is received in our hearts. And it goes beyond explanation. It goes beyond explanation. That God's love and God's compassion would be so great that He would send the Son, not to judge the world, not to condemn it, but to save it. And that that love and that care is still present with us. I mean, we sang uh, "Christ the Lord is risen today" to open the eight forty five service this morning because last year we didn't, and we heard about it. <laughs> and I'm telling you, Reverend McAvoy did it up right. We had we had orchestra, we had choir, we had handbells. It was. It was all hands on deck, and it was amazing. It was awesome. It was wonderful. But, but in the middle of that, there's a second verse. And I want you to hear these words from Charles Wesley. It's the second verse. He says, love's redeeming work is done. Alleluia. Fought the fight, the battle won. Alleluia. Death in vain forbids him rise. Alleluia. Christ has opened paradise. Alleluia. The, the very doors of paradise have been opened to us out of God's love and God's care for us, even now, even in this time and in this age. And I I want you to understand that word, alleluia, is a transliteration of an old Hebrew word that literally means praise God. So I want you to to praise God with me for just a minute. Just just when I point to you, say praise God. I mean, love's redeeming work is done. Alleluia. Praise Praise God. God. Fought the fight, the battle won. Alleluia. Ah, Death in vain forbids him rise. Alleluia. Christ has opened paradise. Hallelujah. Yes. That's what the resurrection is about. Okay, so for the last uh, mm, 10 years or so, uh, there's been this um, project going on in Jerusalem. And some of you are aware, they've been doing a renovation of the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. Uh, This is the ancient church that's built over the site of the crucifixion and the burial of Christ. It's, it's a huge structure. It's actually about three or four churches that have kind of merged together. It's a Roman Catholic and Orthodox and Armenian Orthodox, I believe, uh, that control different parts of this building. It's, it's this massive structure. And, and and it's it's old and you know it's burned a couple times and been rebuilt, but it's it's aged now. And so they started this project, not to rebuild it, but to kind of renovate it. And so they they took pieces of it out and cleaned it and fixed it up and kind of put it back together as carefully as possible. and, and while they were doing this, while they were working on this, they were also using this ground-penetrating radar to kind of look under the building, you know, and they were looking for like the old walls of the original buildings and things, and mapping all that out, and mapping out the the topography of where the hill of Calvary was and where the the burial site was, and, and they got to the section there in the middle of the the largest part of the church under the great dome, where there's a a structure called the edicule. It's kind of a cube kind of structure that that is a shrine to the burial place the tomb of Jesus and they took it apart and they cleaned it and refurbished it and they they pulled off several layers of stone off the floor and then they ran that that ground penetrating radar over it to see what was underneath there and you know what they found nothing (laughs) there was nothing under it because the angel told us 2,000 years ago, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen like he told you. And what was true 2,000 years ago is true today and will be true 2,000 years from now. That the Christ has overcome the power of sin and death and his love and his compassion is still moving in the midst of us and we receive life and we receive hope because Christ is risen. Christ is risen, Christ is risen indeed. Is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Amen.